Hi, this is the Curious Kaki Show. My name is Sam, and I'm Yvonne. If you're new here, welcome. And for our returning listeners, thanks for listening with us. And on this episode, we have Aaron, owner and founder of Fifty Tales and Thirty Seconds Cafe, and the 2019 National Barista Champion. What's... Hi, Aaron. Hi, Aaron. Hello, hello. Hey. hello. Thanks so much for coming on to our show, our podcast. My pleasure. So, I uh, just want to start off with a little bit of background. Um, how did you get to where you are now? Because I know that you didn't actually start with. A culinary background per se, not in the culinary arts. Um, how mm-hmm. do you? Yeah, what was your journey like to get to where you are now? Um, which is, I think, your your main thing that you're managing now is Fifty Tales, right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'll try to keep it a bit short and simple. Yeah, sure. A lot of people ask me this question, <laughs> and then it's, like, it's like a super long, long answer, and like, um, okay. So I will start with this first. I always wanted to be a chef. Put it this way, mm-hmm. since mm-hmm. I was high school. Mm. Um, at form three, I was deciding whether to go science stream or art streams. So if I made it into science streams, I will probably do food science or maybe culinary arts. But if I mean like art streams, definitely culinary arts kind of thing. Ah, okay. um, so <clears throat> some way somehow, I will. I'm I'm able to qualify for science stream, but my parents didn't want me to go science stream because my brother did science mm. stream not too well, and my parents thinks I would do better in art streams because I'm not that smart uh, okay so i ended up in art streams uh wasn't wasn't the best decision ever suffered a lot actually um <laughs> and some way somehow so yeah i wanted to do culinary arts but my dad didn't allow so uh the next closest thing that he allowed was hospitality management so hotel management let's mm. say some people understand that way um so yeah i i did hotel management in Bajaya. Mm. which was fun because I did a lot of uh, other interesting things aside from hotel management. Uh, I also did bartending. Ooh, okay. But I, I, I didn't quite enjoy bartending lifestyle. I did do it for a short period of time, uh, event-based, and also I did some part-time in uh, SOAR group, uh, WIP to be specific in Bangsa. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, like I said, I didn't quite enjoy the lifestyle because like I'm working, people is sleeping, and then when I'm sleeping, people is working. It's kind of like the opposite. Right. Um, so, but some way, somehow, I met a senior in my college. He kind of, he was already like uh, a barista, part-time, and he kind of like opened the world to me about coffee and stuff. Um, so, yeah, that kind of like changed my perspective of coffee, you know, different flavors. It's quite similar to like wine, you know, we talk a lot about terroir, uh, where the coffee is grown, how is it being processed, the varietal, blah, blah, blah. So uh, because of my senior, I kind of like got hooked to coffee. Yeah, oh, so okay. then I went on with coffee for say about seven and a half years in coffee. Oh. Yeah, so yeah. So after I got my National Barista Champion title uh, and I represented our country in world and finishing at 25 out of 56, um, I would say I kind of like, I don't know what I want to do. I cannot say I don't know what I want to do. Uh, I know what I want to do, but it kind of like, I felt like I was at a juncture where I've been there for so long and finally I got what I want and I've been there. Ah, uh, okay. It's this, this sudden gap that, that I didn't 
know quite what know what to do or like yeah okay somewhere somehow at the time i was making some noodles and my family loves noodles mm. so okay lah, you know like okay, 2020 is probably a good year to start a new business <laughs> yeah let's try something you know and since i like to cook and Indeed. my family loves to eat yeah you know let's do this and then, yeah so yeah that's that's kind of like how i got to where i am today lah, end up cooking so mm. yeah i mean I'm I'm happy that I get to do what I'm. I always wanted to do to live my childhood dream. So, yeah, I guess a lot of people would love to be there. I would say I'm very privileged to be able to kind of like live my childhood dream. So yeah, mm. it it's quite a common story, right? For people to kind of take a, a long roundabout way to get into the get to the childhood dream. I think many mm-hmm. of us as well. Um, and even many of the listeners would also identify with like having this big dream that they want to have, but there's a lot of stuff in the way, whether it's um, parental expectations or even conflicting mm-hmm. advice that we get from other people. Mm-hmm. So like, should we all just go for our dreams no matter what? Or is there value in taking the long, long route? Or is it like, actually none of that matters, just do something. <laughs> uh, I, I would say not necessary to take the, the, the big round, uh, but it's always very important to ask ourselves the reality or like the realistic question. Like, I mean, ideally it's, it's, it's about life, you know, hmm. whether you can make money, can you survive, right. is this doable? Um, Yeah, I have I have staffs who also tell me their dream to open a cafe or something like that. But I always ask them the reality, you know. I mean, this is something. Yeah, when we dream, uh, it's 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 good that we dream. But you must always ask yourself the question when the, you put in the reality factor into it. Uh, does it justify that? Because uh, yeah, a lot of people say you know you do things with your passion, you do something you like. It's very easy to 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 kind of like uh, progress in that career path or like. Um, yeah. It is, but when when reality kicks in, you know, maybe you're not making as much money mm-hmm. and, and you, you couldn't achieve something. And then some people would be like, uh, hobby turn, turn job or like passion turn job. Uh, mm. You might end up, I mean, you might end up hating that thing you used to love. So, mm. yeah. That's why when, when, when I told my parents I wanted to be a chef or like also back then, they were also quite afraid because I was watching AFC a lot. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so they were like you know very scared like influenced by celebrity chef you know like because i mean the tv show don't don't give you the, the reality factor you see mm. um, so as i was in hospitality school so i i also part-time a lot in hotels and stuff so the question i always ask myself if i can fry an egg good can you fry another hundred more mm, i mean I because it. that's reality you can fry one egg a lot of people love to cook and Every, I know a lot of people can cook very well, but can you cook the same thing every day a hundred times? Yep. Yeah. I understand. Is what you are passionate about um, something that you're so passionate that you're willing to put up with all the shit that comes with it, right? Yep. Correct. Mm. So even at that time when I wanted to do coffee, so my parents also, I mean, they're very supportive. Like, they don't, they, they never really like disagree, mm. aside from me studying culinary arts. <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> Every Asian parents. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, they, they, I mean, they were, they were very supportive in, in most of the things that I wanted to do. Mm. Yeah. 
So I, I don't know about you, lah, but I would wouldn't be surprised if we had this thought as well, being in the food and beverage industry for so long that like we have so much potential around us in Malaysia, right? Correct. And that's like we have so many influences, so many different uh, cultures mixing together, and even our uh, fellow orang asli country, mm-hmm. countrymen, countrywomen who yeah. who know the the local produce, right? Um, but like it seems like we're taking kind of a long time to integrate that and to really use that in a refined way. Mm. Um, why why do you think that's that's happening? Okay, uh, I'll split this into two parts. Um, even for my restaurant now, uh, what we want to do in the future is to actually get everything locally produced. So we were going to soon move forth to like smaller farms or smaller production companies that does really good products so that we can use in the restaurant. That's, that's one. Um, but coming back to that question, you, you asked why we are so far behind and or like are we, why are we now only moving to that, to that level where we want to focus on our local produce and everything. Um, I would say this, we have to blame our nature. Malaysians okay. love everything about brand. Mm. And when we talk about brand, means it's international brand or it's a brand that is like super mass produced where they have to minimize their costs and here and there, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> technically, consumers don't even really think where the food come from. Right. And all they focus is I hold a glamorous brand on my hand or I Instagram that I go to this famous restaurant or like go to, you know, a place... And then they just they just want that status. I'll put it this way. Oh. They don't really appreciate the product itself. Cause I've I've privileged to go to Japan and, and Melbourne before, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm quite shocked about how uh, how there's so many independent restaurants and independent cafes and you know where people f- really care about quality over the brand. Mm. And I I guess we are slowly changing but it's still at a very slow rate where we we kind of like focus on independent restaurants but you can still see a huge amount of people who who goes for mass produce you know mm. i mean most of the fast food chains during mco you can see them having long queues the the food riders are all out there and then you see independent restaurants struggling and most of them closing down and yeah i guess that's that's one of the biggest problem because Locally, we don't appreciate local produce and we don't appreciate independent brand. And we care a lot about status. And I, I don't know, is it an Asian thing or is it our culture or is it just here in Malaysia? Like anything that comes from overseas is good. An international mm. brand is good. If it's a local brand, man, you're either number two or you're somewhere behind. Yeah. Mm, okay. So like in a sense we still kind of have like a third world country kind of mentality where like, or we feel like our, Sorry. our, uh, like our local produce isn't good enough to match what, what's out there internationally. Mm-hmm. Then Sorry. is the solution like education? Like, cause we've got to reach a point culturally where, where like, um, where people can see like, wow, Malaysia actually has a lot of potential. Actually, huh, our local produce not bad leh. You know, is that education? Mm-hmm. I don't know, marketing or like 
are we kind of already on the right track and we just got to keep waiting just a little bit to, to get there? Mm. That is a very good question. Uh, if you ask me, I always okay. blame this to yeah. our government. Uh, I mean, yeah. I just have to say this clear because, I mean, being F&B, uh, there's too many restrictions and there's too okay. many things that we require. And it's funny because our country is, is, is such a, uh, how to say, disaster-free country mm. and we have so many land, but yet we can't do anything. It's funny, you see. Um, just so you know, Malaysia now finally produced caviar. Oh, I, I don't know if you I, guys know. This is a recent development. Uh, uh, no, it's like, I think it's been a, a long while actually because it takes six years oh. to produce caviar if I'm not mistaken. So I think they, they should have been around for probably about eight years. Uh, they are actively promoting themselves, I think, somewhere okay. in 2019. Yeah, so they're actually in Tanjung Malim. I have yet to visit their farm because I met one of the uh, bosses the other day. Oh, so gosh. it's called Telo. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's a local produced caviar, you see. But why I use them as an example is because they fork out their own money to produce local caviars. And it's real sturgeons. Uh, they are really real sturgeons producing caviars. It's not like uh, uh, other mm. fishes or like the fake of caviar. It's, it's real caviar. And it's said that after they are now successfully producing caviar, governments only start to acknowledge that the fact that we can do such things oh. and we want to fund this. So even before them, apparently there was someone who's already trying to produce oyster. But again, there was too many restrictions and too many, you know, government hierarchy or like, you know, then you feel in Borang A, then you must get Borang C, Borang C, they must get Borang B, that kind of thing. So then it's not productive, you see. It's too old school and you have to go through too many layers just to produce something good, you see. And on the other hand, one of my brother's friend who actually did agriculture before. And also from there, I find new like why we have more Thailand mm. grains or Thailand rice here than we have our own mm. local rice. Because they actually restrict this, a certain varietal that you can only grow in Malaysia. Somewhat, they say they want to control okay. the pricing. You know, so, you know, but, but also it's an opportunity for them to, you know, Hanky panky, and then like you have to mm. only have this. Right. If you want to do something else, then okay. you have to. Uh -huh, yeah. You see, but I always say it's, it's very funny. Why don't we think reverse? Why don't we feed internally? We produce better goods to feed internally. Then only we will talk about exporting. But here it's always the other way around. We only grow this two varietal or like this specific one and we export everything out. You know, it's never mm. focused internally. It's unlike, so I will, I will put an example our nearest country, which is Thailand. Uh, when mm -hmm. they started producing coffee, mm. immediately the government imposed uh, a law where they have to sell back, I think about 60 to 70% of the crop back to Thailand oh, before they okay. can export the rest. So out. very protective okay. of their own country. Produce. You see how, the, yes, correct. So that, that is how also they can push the market value. So people know your coffee is good, but there's only a certain right. percentage that you can get. The prices of automatically course. goes okay. higher, you see. I mean, I mean, I ended up in art stream studying this. This is basic economy, but <laughs> and yet I don't know why is is it not applied? And yeah, and I guess that's one of the biggest mm. barrier about our mm. own local produce here. 
Um, yeah, it's very interesting to, you know, kind of really see your perspective um, on like locally produced food. Mm. Um, I guess with COVID-19, and then you mentioned earlier about, you know, having to sort of compete with all these brands. How has mm. like um, 50 Tales or 30 Seconds like really stand out and reach out to, to like build its customer base during like, you know, during this pandemic, for example? Mm. Um, that's, that's a very good point that you asked this question because... We were hit very badly, let's just put it this way. Um, yeah, sales drop almost 90%. Yeah. It wasn't the best time ever. And plus MCO 2.0, because 30 seconds experienced the first MCO, 50 Tails didn't, because 50 Tails came mm -hmm. after the, the first MCO. Um, yeah, put it this way, initially 30 seconds, we didn't have any delivery service at all. We weren't even prepared for this, because at the time, uh, some brands out there, uh, let's not mention who, they were charging like 28% before MCO. And mm -hmm. that's already very high. And my my parents and us, I mean, my family business, we, we always focus on um, value for money for customers and because we run the business ourselves. So we, we don't try to generate as much profit as we can. I mean, there's profit, that's enough kind of thing because we want to uh, okay. do the volume game instead because we want everybody to have the best, you know. I mean, again, cannot be charging people like 30 ringgit for pasta and who would, who would come and have such thing, you know, in a neighborhood area. Um, so when those food delivery services were really charging 28%, we, we find it like, this is ridiculous, like 28%. And I mean, if you know about food costing and how you, you calculate your profit and 28% is like mm, almost everything yeah, gone already. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and came MCO number one, they hike up their rate oh. to almost 35%. Damn. And so at that point we were like, damn. And we, we still stay on, you know, my parents also like, never mind, 35%, we still don't join, regardless if we need a business or We are already suffering and then like, whatever business that we're going to do is just like, free free just give away to people, you know. And like, no, <laughs> we insisted to stay on without delivery service for like, I think the first few days. First week, I think. Yeah, I can't remember how long was it, but thankfully at the time, uh, Store Hub, they, they, they acknowledged the problem and they started oh, up something yeah. called okay. um, Yeah, that, that did help a little bit, uh, not as much, but at least we had like a platform to kind of like, uh, to, to, to put ourselves out there aside from just being waiting in the shop you know, mm. for customers to come. Uh, yeah, we, we, we focus a little bit more on social media, lah, but like I said, it didn't really help because like all these commercial brands, they, they spend one big lump sum, you know, blast out. Everybody online also can mm. see their ads, you know, and who cares about the independent restaurants, you see, um, and knowing that everybody's online. Um, but then came MCO 2.0 and or like before MCO 2.0, Asia decided to start a food delivery service or so. And they actually helped a lot. They charge a lot uh, mm. better rate compared ah. to the rest. They were, um, they initially they started like a credit system. So one credit is at five ringgit that's equal to one's delivery okay. service. So regardless how big the order is, it's still a five ringgit. Oh. So it, it's, it's cool. Uh, you see, if, if a customer order like 100 over ringgit stuff, then it's five ringgit is just a fraction and like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's good deal for us. Uh, but I think 
uh, it's a good way to start and how they create their, their customer base. Um, but sadly, they now decided to change their charges, but it's still a lot cheaper. They are doing, if I'm not mistaken, 15% right. of the transaction. Okay. So it, 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 it's still doable, you see. And yeah, it's, it's not it's not too bad. Lah. But yeah, but for Amazon, oh, we spend a lot more on social media marketing. Mm. Uh, try to boost ads and, and, and stories every day. Be more active in posting stories because everybody is on social media yeah. and we don't have the money to be like the bigger brands mm. to, to, to do ads. Yep. So just just depend on your follower. Lah. You know, you constantly, every day you post, you know, you're open for takeaway and delivery. You know, just keep snapping food or whatever you do in the shop, just post, mm. you know, whatever you can, you just post. So you kind of like make yourself present in, mm. in, in, in people's social media yeah um, yeah pretty much that's that's what we do mm. constantly engaging with your existing mm. customer base mm. yeah yeah it's very hard to be pandemic proof because like, even my noodles when you take away you know the impression of the food when it arrives at the customer it's just never the same anymore yeah and it's yeah and it's, it's very different when you can dine in and do takeaways and that's true for us, when we do takeaways, one of the things we worry most is always the rider. Mm. And we had that so many times. Riders spill our food, especially when we had soup. And uh, riders don't care, you know, they're like, ah, I just want to reach my customer fast, Froom. and then the riders spill everything and then end up we had to spend extra costs to use another delivery service to go and deliver food to them again and it's for free. Mm. And yeah. So this way, I mean, even up to this day, I think, I mean, it's important to include a food delivery service in, in any FMP business. Mm. But again, there's always this question, um, can it be a foolproof or does it really going to help in the future businesses or even if there's future pandemic? Mm. Mm. Yeah, because yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, as an independent restaurant, no matter how, we are still competing with bigger brands. Yeah. And mm. The food delivery service out there that I mentioned that charges a lot, they even have better deals for restaurants who have 10 outlets or more. Mm, okay. These guys are already making good money and you're giving them opportunity to make even more good money. Yeah. And yeah. whereas us as an independent who has only one, two outlets, yeah. That's so that's why, I mean, yeah, it's, it's interesting you brought this work because pandemic proof life, I've been thinking also because... I have future plans to expand to other restaurants and I also ask myself like if ever there's another pandemic, how how are we gonna tackle this? Mm. Yeah. Um yeah. I are you you said that you're gonna plan to accept are you planning to come to Pitting or open in because <laughs> I'm from Pitting. <laughs> uh I don't know yet. Probably still in PJ area. I love I love where I am now. But Penang would definitely be a nice place one of these days to open a restaurant there. Okay. Yeah. Um. Just uh. I mean, when you talked about Penang, right? Then I was thinking like, there's such a huge like a long tradition of like old hawker stalls and like chakritao and all these all these traditional things that that come. I mean, and even in in Kiel as well, because I was reading in. That reminded me of your interview with the uh, New Straits Times in, mm-hmm. with NST, right? And you said that, like, mm-hmm. one of the things that moved you to uh, do noodles as well is that you miss the flavors from the old 
days or like that. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, yeah. the hawker stores don't really serve the noodles the way they used to. Uh, mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? Okay. Uh, so since young, I'm sucker for like dry noodles. I love dry noodles. Oh, okay. And dry, yes. and dry noodles must have lard. You know, oh, like okay. That's, that's one of the reasons why I, I like to dine out then at home because at home, my grandma don't do that. My mom don't do that because normally they do like, I mean, healthier, you use like garlic oil or shallots <laughs> oil. Right. And you go out, you know, dry to those has to be with lard and a lot of cooking, like those fried vegetables, you use lard, it yep. actually tastes a lot better. I'm sorry to the Muslim listeners. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and I, I'm, I'm that kind of person who, who, who like things that are very nostalgia or like something that I can relate mm. to. And mm. why I mentioned that nowadays a lot of people don't do that. Um, for example, in KL itself, uh, a lot of foreigners cooking our Chinese food also. It's not like Chinese people cooking Chinese food anymore. And I always, I, I get very fed up when I order Konlo, then like there's like still like water or like a bit of dark soy sauce gravy. And then like, that's like sub low and it's not really Konlo, you know, it's like there's still water in my noodles. And it's very frustrating because it either comes very bland, it comes very watery, or it's like too much of dark soy sauce. It's, it's just not how I used to know when I was younger, like okay. how people make wonton mean and, and stuff like that. Um, in, I mean, aside from, from traditions also, I mean, I'm, I also believe that as time progress, there should be some people who wants to improve or modernize what we have traditionally or what we have before this. Um, that's also one of the reasons why I started my restaurant. Um, and after watching Netflix, Street Food, Malaysia, oh, yeah. not mentioned. Yeah, I know. Oh, I, was, I know, right? I, yeah, I was quite pissed, but then at the same time, I I, I don't blame them 100% also because after I opened uh, 50 Tales, I also realized a lot of people don't appreciate our local food. Oh. But then people is like, oh, local food has to be cheap, lah, you know? It has to be hawker center. But I always ask myself, then are we just going to maintain as yellow noodles or are we going to maintain as, as cheap as lousy food or like, from the hawker center. Yeah. Really? Are we just gonna stick to that? Are we are we not gonna try push the boundaries? Are we not gonna try to like advance further and, and maybe make you know our food somewhere? Because I always say the Americans would be very proud of their hot dogs, their burgers and their mm-hmm. pizzas. Go to Italy, they're very proud of their pastas and pizzas and stuff. And you go to mm-hmm. Japan, you're very proud of their sushi and stuff. It's this and if you talk about Japanese ramen, it's like so diverse, there's so many different styles. Each state has their own different, you know, kind of noodles and, and stuff. But then when it comes back to Malaysia, like when there's a foreigner or like a tourist, you always recommend them nasi lemak, pakute, satay, mama. What else aside from that? Unless you're in Penang, lah, then chakwetiao, chendol. <laughs> laksa. Yeah, laksa. And, and it's, it's always this few. It's, it's, it's always so easy to state just this few. But what, what are there more? aside from this mm, I get it yeah so, yeah sometimes I find it quite sad like because even I mean I also ask myself like if there's a tourist or like my friends who come from overseas where would I take them or like what what would I bring them it's, it's always the same it's always nasi lemak mama pakute and then like you ended up in, in, in like some other restaurants that is not doing local cuisine mm, yeah I totally get it and there's this, there's still this like this 
resistance to refine F&B culture. I think you you mentioned it as well. It's like mm-hmm. uh, people have this perception that oh, local food has to be cheap, law hawker style. Mm. Um, like I've had conversations with people before where the big things they complain about obviously is that the fine dining is like expensive, lah, and a small portion, mm-hmm. and like yeah. it's like then they say like oh, I cannot taste the difference, can I taste the flavor. Like how where do we go from here? How do we progress uh, this mentality or can we even do that you know without without alienating the common person right because we don't want to to make it seem like oh i know better than you but mm. it's because these common people these are the people who who eat the food who drink and who share it all so like we want to mm. take them together with us yeah mm. I think i think i would say it should start with us at least being proud about our local cuisine that's that's number mm. one. Because when you don't, every weekend you will start thinking of going to brunch places. Although I open a cafe and I hope people think about brunch, <laughs> but, <laughs> but of course the bigger picture is to hopefully people think about local food rather than waking up on a Sunday like oh I'm gonna go to that cafe and go and grab my latte and then have like a big breakfast or like poached eggs. Mm. And and I kind of feel like it's it's. Is going that way ever since the cafe scene has been mushrooming. Um, yeah. Although a lot of people disagree with me, you see, like cafe still got a lot of people. I mean, the kopitiam still got a lot of people. Yeah, still got a lot of people. But then, like when you talk about the the middle class or middle upper class, and you kind of like want every tier where you can have the cheap local cuisine, you can have the mid range local cuisine, and of course the high end local cuisine. So I think the big mm. picture is like when it hits middle class or like middle upper class to the higher class local cuisine like never never in that scene it's always yeah western or like japanese that kind of more superior cuisine to be in that area so yeah Yeah. i think people should appreciate local cuisine a lot more yeah it should start from there and and then i guess like um because okay so as a from my point of view also as a consumer it's like um i i want to appreciate local cuisine but sometimes i'm not sure where i where to go to appreciate that and to have good um good local food that that i'm happy to pay i don't know like upwards of 15 ringgit 20 ringgit for mm-hmm. um i guess that's where people like you come in right Aaron? like where you're mm-hmm. starting yeah. these businesses that yeah. give them this option like hey we have right. local food here that is refined it's um it's no msg it's everything's made from scratch yep and, and it's yeah. not your dirty hawker store no aircon kind of thing like you can enjoy you know <laughs> it's a place where you can really enjoy food yeah yeah happy to take someone on a date there <laughs> yeah. so we've come to the end of our time together and as usual, we have our last two questions that you've already known. Um, <laughs> so first question is, right, if you could give an experiment to someone who's interested in uh, food and beverage industry for 30 days to do, um, maybe it's someone who is not sure they, they are capable of going mm-hmm. in the industry, or maybe it's someone who is already in industry, but they're bored or stagnant, right? If you could give them an experiment to do for 30 days, uh, what would that be? Mm. Okay, that's a very good question. So if it's for a person who's not in the industry, 
but they just kind of like oh very passionate i want to cook or like, i want to make coffee or like, i want to open a cafe or restaurant i think i'll make that person work full shift for 30 days uh. wow okay and, and, <laughs> and full shift 30 days don't just like do one particular task for 30 days but that's include like sweeping the floor mopping the floor cleaning the toilet cleaning the grease trap talking to customers and making mm. the product like umpteen times if they can can do that for the next 30 days yeah go ahead open a cafe or restaurant mm. or like go join the fmb mm. um because ideally it's not just about making the food or the drink it's still customer yeah. service so you still need to know how to learn to treat people nice uh, learn what is actual service mm. talk to people and providing mm. the best comfort to people because why i mentioned washing toilet is because like yeah if if you are a patron you know you're eating there and then you use the washroom and it's dirty maybe it kind of reflect also to, to how you handle your food but if they are already in fmb or they are already doing like yeah, really a chef or like a barista. I think the next 30 days I would challenge them is what else can they contribute to the workplace aside from just, for example, making coffee or like cooking noodles? Because um, mm. I've, I've experienced so many staffs and they always come, they say like, oh, I want to learn from you. Then I always have this argument, I'm not a school, why you want to come here and learn? They say, and then they always come, they say they learn already, then they chow. Yeah, like, I teach you not to just chow. Eh. I teach you so that you can stay longer and help me run the business so that I can do other things. Mm. So yeah, if you ask me, I think for people who are already in FMB, that 30 days, I'll question them, uh, what else can they contribute to the company aside from what they're doing now? Yeah, because mm. a lot of times, yeah, I'm a chef, I cook. Eh. So are you going to cook for the rest of your life for the next 10 to 20 years? Mm-hmm. What else can you do? You know, like, do you want to just be cooking or do you want to like be more involved in, in how your food can help the marketing team? And it, mm. it, should, it should move to that way rather than, oh, I'm here to cook and I'm just going to cook and then like, yeah. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. So yeah, I think that would be the 30 days challenge for, for people. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. All right, and the the last question is, um, if you could eat only one food for the rest of your life, what would it be? Hi, uh, this one don't need us la. Show noodles. <laughs> noodles. <laughs> of course. Uh, is that Uncle Aaron coming kind out? Of, um, <laughs> Yeah, noodles is, is, is something that I think I'll eat for a very long time. And and it's such a beautiful thing because it's from a, a simple noodle, you can vary it to so many things. You mm. put whatever it tastes like, whatever, you know? And, mm. and noodle is like a carrier, it's like a, a vessel, and you need a vessel to, to add in your flavors. Mm. So yeah, noodles are the way to go forward, you know? Like, and wow. it's simple, you see, you can just put a bit of soy sauce, a bit of lard in it's wow. a complete meal already. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you! You heard it here, guys. I love it, Lord. I love Lord. <laughs> she made yeah, a T-shirt. Yes, I, yes, I would. I love Lord. Fifty Tales merch. Yes. I love Lord. Yeah, you should. <laughs> <laughs> Haram. 
Yep. Not halal. <laughs> yeah, you'll be noodles, huh? Yeah, definitely. And I guess that's one of the reasons why I started 15 years, because my whole family loves noodles. And, yeah. Fantastic. Um, <laughs> just curious, huh? Like, hmm. would you consider doing like chicken fat, you know, or 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 beef tallow as well? Because also fat ma then also can fry. I mean, of course, then there'll be more halala, right? But yeah. What do you think? Any thoughts? Or... Uh, I actually do. I actually have quite a few Malay friends, like, and Muslim friends who actually asked me before, like, hey, uh, how does Chinese noodle taste like? How does, like, a real ramen taste like? Or, like, how does pork taste like? Or, like, the Chinese noodles that you guys have, how does it taste like, you know? Mm. And also, I think, uh, as, as a chef and as a Malaysian, I think, I mean, I would I would love to have numerous business, I mean, as a business owner, but I think I, I would have another few more restaurants that would be Muslim friendly, so where I can have mm. all races to come and dine in, but the food will be very much focused on other races don't have or like, so that they can share similarities now. Yeah, I actually do have mm. a plan to open like a chicken noodle bar, so like everything wow. is chicken So yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, because I mean yeah. currently I have like the base recipe from what I have now. I just have to experiment mm -hmm. changing the ingredients to either beef or like chicken and then see how it goes. But, yeah, definitely. I'm excited. Food lovers. Yeah. Uh, watch this space. Watch this space. So uh, on that note, where can our listeners find you and keep track of what's going on with uh with your with your ambitions? Uh, okay, there's there's three three Instagrams that people can look out for. Uh, they can either follow my personal one, which is Aaron Pua Chabi, uh, or you can All look right. for Hills or Thirty Seconds Malaysia. But I would say if follow my personal one, then you get more stuff so like. Yeah, like film photography, food and coffee, and yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks, yes. Aaron. Thank you so much for chatting with us. No problem. My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me as well. Yeah. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thank um, you. And for all of you listening out there, thanks for listening with us on the Curious Kaki Show. Stay curious. <laughs>